0: Hi everybody and welcome to the latest Scots ScotsWayHey podcast and today it's going to be a bit of a Robert Louis Stevenson special. Um, we're lucky that we are doing a project with the Association for Scottish Literary Studies Um, to commemorate Stevenson's birthday this year on the 13th of November and we've recorded um, three readings uh, from three of our favourite writers. Um, One, Alan Bissett who has read Thrawn Janet and we'll talk a little bit about that later. James Robertson who has read The Tale of Todd Leprake and you'll hear James um, speaking about that uh, at the very end of this podcast. And also Louise Welsh who... Had the mammoth job of reading The Bottle Imp and Louise is with us. Hi. Hello. And we're also joined by Ronnie Young who's going to put all of this into some kind of context I hope. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> and yeah we're just going to chat a little bit about Stevenson and when this comes out on Stevenson Day um, you'll also be able to get the three readings and you'll be able to get the ebook from the ASLS website. But that's enough of that. Without further ado well, let's talk a little bit about some of the favorite Stevenson um, novels or stories that you have. Louise, what about yourself?
1: I've been thinking about um, those the very first Stevenson that I ever read or actually didn't read but had read to me which mm-hmm. was Treasure Island yes. and just how exciting that was and how I still remember the visceral experience of um, Blind Pew and The Black Spot and The Captain and oh my goodness all of it was just so exciting and so sinister you know for a child to have that read to him. I remember it was a book that we got out of the library but I can still see the map, you know, with the treasure. Mm -hmm. And that thing that Stevenson writes, I think he writes to Henley, doesn't he? And he says, Mm -hmm. you know, this, it has everything. It has pirates, it has treasure, it has a map. If this doesn't, yeah, if this Mm -hmm. doesn't fetch the kids, I don't know what will. And he's right, it really got me involved. And I have this strong memory of my dad, shutting, you know, the blind pew, Mm -hmm. gives them the black spot and then the captain falls down oh it's all yeah. and then my father shut the book and said well it's time for bed now <laughs> how, can, how can you go to bed after that um but i've come back and i've read it as a, a grown-up now and i guess you see other depths in it and then um, the bit that i would come back to now is a little bit further on for that and it's when um, jim and his mother go and they're unpacking the chest yes. and you see that actually the captain, the captain is more than just this sort of boogeyman. Mm. Actually, he is a man that's had a life, and there's a moment when um, Jim says, you know, he comes across these beautiful shells that at some point the captain has picked up, and they're things of natural beauty that have no monetary worth, and he says something like, "I've always wondered." You know where he picked the shells, why he kept them. There's a long travelling life, Um and I think that's Stevenson is such a great writer. He's writing for children, uh-huh. but he's not writing simply.
0: He does in in, in uh, Treasure Island in particular, but in in nearly all of his stories. But for, I think the best children's stories, the ones that really you remember, there is genuine danger that the child is going to be injured or something terrible could happen, and he, that's. Right from the beginning in, in in Treasure Island, you have that you think there nobody's safe here, and, and you know Jim in particular isn't safe. Um, what about you, Ronnie? Did we did memories of the children stuff, or is it well uh, to an extent? I also I also remember a copy lying about the
2: house when I was mm-hmm. little, you know, one of these uh, kids versions because I think that's quite important for Stevenson the fact that it was. Um, that he was uh, republished, published and republished, and republished throughout the twentieth century, in these children's edition, uh, editions. I was just thinking, actually, the uh, the original audience for this, uh, for the story, uh, were uh, would have to wait longer between chapters because it was serialized, so mm. they would probably have to wait—I don't know—a week or a month or something like that. But the agony. It must have been. <laughs> it must have been. But the, the interesting thing is about that map. I think that was that was actually a map from um, a family member. I think it was. Uh, it's f- 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 yeah, uh, in holiday was it in mm. Um When uh, one of the children uh, drawn a map and the story in a sense is based around the map. And it's quite, um, I think it's quite important because when you read it, the map's so important, but also the legacy of that, that book is about maps and pilots and treasure maps, etc. So it's so, so integral to our culture.
0: Well, he's he's a writer that you know seems to take from nearly, he, he is influenced by nearly everything that he reads and touches. I think, which Absolutely. we'll talk about. Uh, a bit later but I think anyone that read Treasure Island or as or, or you said you know read mm-hmm. the serializations or whatever mm-hmm. it has such a strong hold and I wonder if that's one of the reasons that for some people he remains a children's writer which is a great oh. shame because I think you're right that even the children's books are not only for children right the best ones they, you go back to them and they teach you a lot more but he does for some people that's what he remains.
1: Do you think that's still mm. true because I'm um I feel that I've lost the sense of that, and I don't yeah, actually know true. where where Stevenson does fit in the kind of canon or in popular literature. Because yeah. we do we, we do mm. have things like Kidnapped, which again is mm. looked on mm-hmm. as being a children's book, but has these these complexities, yeah, which is strange because it's it's not really again, is it mm-hmm. at all? It's, it's got the good historical groundwork with the Appin murder, mm. and again, um, this idea of real jeopardy and kind of modernist approach as well, doesn't Absolutely. it, that that bit on um, the, what's the name of the island that they're on, is it, I would to say Iron oh. Isle, the, anyway, they, mm. when they're trapped in the island, this, and, and the bit where, um, gosh, you'll be able to cut bits of this, <laughs> <the moment>. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is his name in Kidnapped, it's uh, Alan, 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 Alan Brecks, sure. the... Um, mm-hmm. The Slosh Buckler uh, and
2: David Balfour.
3: David Balfour. Yeah.
1: The bit when David Balfour is stuck up on the rock and David and uh, Alan Brecker stuck on the rock in the burning sun. Oh. That's rather a canoe moment, isn't it? Absolutely. That's like um, at the outsider or something. But I think there's also the Gothic work. I think probably, mm-hmm. as well as Treasure Island, the book that um, everybody knows whether they've read it mm. or not. Is the strange case of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. So maybe
0: that wasn't... Maybe there's a sense of there being more than one Stevenson. There's definitely a sense Mm. of there being more than one Stevenson. And perhaps some people don't link the Stevenson or Jekyll and Hyde to the Stevenson of... You know, uh, Treasure Island or Kidnap even though there are themes going on uh, in, in all of them, I wonder if that's the case
2: I think there is a problem, a persistent problem throughout the 20th century um, or particularly in early decades when Stevenson is seen as that kind of author of you know, uh, boys adventure stories mm-hmm. and that um, his success possibly doesn't go in his favour because we've had modern, literary modernism by this time, so success is kind of not a badge of merit. Mm. Um, in sense that he's a jobbing offer, you know, so that might not help his reputation. And, and I guess things are, have begun to change in the last few decades, actually. Yeah, you know? maybe that's true. There's Treasure Island, there's Kidnapped, they were written for uh, children's magazines, mm-hmm. but they do have complexities which we, we, uh, which are, are manifest, um, which, you know, make them available to a adult audience as well. Um, But even when you get into later work, when you get into the Master Ballantry, you get into particularly South Sea Tales, I think there's a a real stylistic maturity there and um, there's a real um, almost proto-modernist style coming through.
0: So you think Um, you can see him, or you can definitely see him change as a writer? and maybe you have to look at that chronologically or?
2: Well, possibly. I mean, or the fact that he's just writing for different audiences at different times. Mm-hmm. Right? We can find different things in Stevenson and different audiences can go to him. So you've got the, the kids things, sure. I mean, he did write for kids and mm-hmm. we've had that legacy through the many adaptations by such uh, such uh, institutions as Disney. Yeah, You know, Treasure Island, the iconic performance by... Robert Newton. Yeah. W- on which uh, every single pirate in film Absolutely. since is based yeah, yeah. on you know the really hammy sort of, Yar version of pirates. Dimland, uh, yeah. And well, the numerous versions since. Um, um, there is that aspect of Stevenson, but there's another aspect which, possibly not so well known because we haven't had quite so many popular adaptations in terms of film, etc. Would maybe know the master ballerina, some of the later work, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but I think people are it's coming round th- to Stevenson as a, a, you know, important artist. Yeah, well, mm. I
0: think I think so. I just wondered, and maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it has changed. Certainly, um, the success mm. of, of Jekyll and Hyde as a text that is, you know, which is referred to again and again and again.
1: I wonder so if you're right that there, there, there is also this, um, you know, Doctor Jekyll says uh, man is not not truly really one but two. Mm-hmm. And with Stevenson, Stevenson's not two, is he? He's many, many, he's many, yeah, many, many, And he crosses all of these genres. I and I wonder if that is part of the reason he's not been claimed by uh, yes. particular schools. And of course, also immediately after his death, he has not served well. You mm-hmm. know Often the, the, the South Seas, his, his legacy has not really yeah. served terribly well. And it takes a while to recover from that. I wonder though. Um, I always feel it's sort of sad that Conrad or somebody like that didn't mm. didn't champion mm. him. You know, because I think cha- I think Conrad um, Conrad does the oh no nothing to. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think I even read Stevenson, and you read Conrad. I think to. Oh, <laughs> did you? Just <laughs> <Come on, laughs> Joseph, I bet you had a read, I bet you did. Yeah. But uh, so you think he'd possibly uh, immediately after his death yeah. doesn't have those champions mm. that help to to make somebody's uh-huh. reputation. And to maintain it and serve it no. well, and then um, we're we're very fortunate that we now still have these books available to us, and we're it, it's a gift to the scholar, I would think. There's all this work that has not been done to death, uh-huh. um, just waiting there. It's an open door.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, going back to his late work, and you know, and speaking of Conrad, of course, you've got The Tide, which is this, you know, tyrannical white yeah. master, a uh, who's, uh, um. Lording over the natives of an island, and uh, in a story in which um, Stevenson really does critique empire and colonialism, and that really does prefigure and just yeah. just predate Conrad's Heart mm-hmm. of Darkness. Yeah. You know. maybe that's the reason Conrad has to distance himself from that kind of work, but Stevenson really is on the ball in terms of the stuff that we are interested in now, mm-hmm. most critically.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wonder if um, you know Stevenson himself. As I said, he, he, he could have, something like the Master Ballanty um, seems, and even even could not, seems to owe a debt to Scott, at least some of Scott. Um, certainly you'd say Jacqueline Hyde perhaps owes a debt to Hogg. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I, think, I
1: think Stevenson is clear about yeah, he, he seems he, to be clear about these things, that's yeah, the thing. He says, you know, this, that he owes a, a debt to Hogg, he's mm-hmm. not, he's not um, at all shy about that. In mm-hmm. fact, Stevenson I think is such a, a very generous man yeah. I, he, That's what I get and from he also of, uh, wants, uh, I get the impression that not only does he want to acknowledge Hogg, he wants us all to read Hogg yeah, because it's brilliant. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I
0: wondered, uh, uh, you know, there's always this question in, in Jekyll and Hyde about why it's not set in Edinburgh because it feels mm, that, it's, yeah. that it's kind of set in Edinburgh and I wondered if there, somewhere along the line there was a decision to say, well let's not kind of do this too closely to, to uh, Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner, but um, mm-hmm. Certainly, it seems to be, if you take away um, Treasure Island Kidnapped, um, Jekyll and Hyde seems to be the most famous Stevenson um, text. And in, in a way, it really did change things forever. I mean, it, it was... For those who hadn't who hadn't read Hockey, it Was he was a, 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 a novella which just seemed to inspire almost everything that came after it. Do you think that's fair to say?
1: I don't know, actually, because I, I think... I think there's a there's a question there, isn't it? Is it something that inspires everything that comes after it, or is it part of an amazing zeitgeist? Mm. I think um, Psychopathia Sexualis is published, I think, in the same year, mm. if not the same year, the year after. Is it uh, when is um, the picture of Dorian Gray published? Oh, that's it's a good it's just round about yeah. then, yes. isn't it? So I think it's it's an amazing book. It has these. Influences, mm-hmm. most definitely Hog, mm-hmm. most definitely Edinburgh, most definitely medicine, Char- Charcot, is that how you pronounce mm-hmm. his name? <laughs> all in the medical stuff that, that Stevenson's reading. But I think there is also something in the ether, and they've yeah. all been taking it. But, well, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: But it seemed out of, out of, all, of the, um, all of the influences and, and, and the, the fiction in particular that was written, written at that time, that seems to have endured right through... To the present day, you know, people talk about. I mean, Jekyll and Hyde itself has become a kind of shorthand for a split personality. Sure, there's a Dorian Gray as well. Oh no, Dorian Gray is. I you know, think so. We, but we,
1: we, we often say, and sadly not about me, but about mm. people. We often say they have a picture in the attic, yeah, don't we? Or, they do. Yeah, it's yeah. very
0: true. That's very true. Yes, yes maybe that's true. Maybe um, I'm being biased towards Stevenson there, okay, but I think uh, that's,
1: I, I'm biased towards him as
0: well. <laughs> well, let's talk about him as as someone who's uh, you know. As a writer yourself, who has been talked about in the Gothic tradition, I think it's fair to say. Um, how do you feel? that's you know, you're, you're writing in any, any kind of legacy that Stevenson wrote in. Is that would you not think about that?
1: Um, no, I think I think he's the first author I remember frightening and moving me, and I think also um, I spent uh, a lot of my childhood in Edinburgh, and he was also you know obviously very different background different period a man all of those things but the idea that somebody that you're walking the streets that somebody else walked mm-hmm. that you can see the landscape that they walked that you can hear the accents similar to what he would have heard that is really really powerful stuff um, and I guess as a grown-up writer you know it's hard to know do you write in the way that you do because you like somebody else's work or do you like their work? Because that's the way that you kind of are. But um, now I've been fascinated with him since I was a child. And I don't doubt that um, that I'm a kind of poor shadow of him. You know, (laughs) Uh, but yes, all the stuff about the, the doubling. And I guess I guess it still holds true, doesn't it? We still open our newspapers and think, my goodness, where there is a lot of respectability, yes. there is probably also a lot of corruption. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the, the things that Stevenson still, is, was exploring, we're still um, engaging with, we're still seeing it in politics and society. We're also still scared of science, you yeah. know, we're still scared of medicine. Yeah. As, I, as I think,
0: yeah. I think we're still scared, uh, particularly scared of something that could be construed as mental illness. And, you know, the, way, the reason sure. that people don't perhaps d- still discuss it as openly as mm-hmm. would be healthy is because it absolutely terrifies people. And that's one of the readings. I mean, there's so many readings of Jekyll and Hyde, but, to, you know, to, to take it that way, I think it gives it its real horror.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah and I guess also the you know we've talked a little bit about Stevenson the man and I know it's very easy to project onto people um but I see him really as a humanitarian as somebody who is interested in equality and a, you know mm-hmm. equality um he I would think in modern terms we'd describe him as a feminist he's mm-hmm. somebody who is not um prejudiced against people of different ethnicities mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. someone who has close friends who are gay we can read. we can you know he said the many readings of Jekyll and Hyde, mm. we can read it for a queer perspective. It's very attractive to us in the 21st century. Yeah. He, he endures.
2: Absolutely. And I think we've also got that sense of, as you mentioned about hypocrisy, is I mean, that, that, that is foregrounded in the novel, or the novella, as soon as you start it, you have Utterston and Utterson uh, drinks gin to mortify a taste for vintage. <laughs> And it's not about just about Jekyll and Hyde, it's all the characters in the novel. Uh, Hyde brings out the badness in everybody. Mm-hmm. And
1: Do you think in Utterson, though? Utterson, you know, he's, he's often the last friend of the man on his way down, isn't he? He's, uh-huh. he's not so, I never see him as a hypocrite so much.
2: Well, it's possibly because we see so much of the novel through him, I'm not mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm, but, it's possible. but I think it's just more generally when you have the opportunity, by setting it in London, to explore. Those kinds of class issues as well. Because remember, the house of Jekyll borders on an area of Soho, so it's respectable on one side, and then there's the back of the, the house, and it it looks at least kind of, or well, we can read it in mm-hmm. terms of those social divides. So, you know, another way in which we can read Stevenson, there's many things that can go from that one short story or one short novel. Mm-hmm.
0: I think the, the, the device of using Utterson, because uh, this kind from of the narrator is interesting, because you're never really sure um what he entirely feels about this. I mean he is the, the friend of 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 um Jekyll. But yeah, I got I always got a sense at the end that there was I don't know about hypocrisy, but certainly a kind of judgment or something there's something going on with Utterson. I can't really put it into words, which is the wrong place to be doing this. But um it, it shows you that the the, the skill of the writer, you know, that of of this person that can Seemingly uh, reliable narrator, but yet there's still all sorts of, of 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 blurring at the edges, which there is in the tale as a whole. Um, well, it's interesting the three stories that you know that, that everyone's because uh, the short stories I think are sometimes overlooked yeah. as well, and the three that are have been chosen to be read. You've got Thrawn Jarrett, which is a Scottish border horror tale really isn't mm-hmm. it it's fantastic um, and the the Scots in it you'll you'll hear w- w- from Alan's reading there's some terrific Scots in it um, tale of toddler break which is from Katrina is that yeah. right mm-hmm. which was a sequel to kidnapped. I have to admit I haven't read it kidnapped. a sequel to kidnapped and there's just another supernatural tale which is in there and then you've got the bottle imp, um, and Lewis, well, you read it. We so Maybe you'd say a little bit about the experience of which. I mean, had you read it before?
1: Yeah, I'd read it a few times actually, and I've I've, I've also been um, interested in adapting it for something like opera. I think it's oh. I think it's a very neat tale, and I think it's got these again high points of um, of real fear. You know, the, yep. there are moments when you think, and I, I won't say how the the story is extricated. How unearthable are hero and heroine extricate themselves in the predicament that they're in. And the predicament that they're in is um, there is a, there exists a bottle. And if you possess the bottle, you can have your heart's desire. Mm-hmm. But as usual, there's a bit of a catch. Mm-hmm. Of <laughs> if you die in the possession of the bottle, you will go to hell for all eternity. The only way to get rid of the bottle is to sell it for less than you paid for it. But when our hero buys the bottle, it is already very cheap, and cheap.
0: It's such a beautiful conceit to do to oh, have. Awesome. That. It's fantastic, um, and of course, it's set. You should say for people who don't know, it, it it's one of these South Sea tales. Tales, yeah. basically, and it's um, a retold
2: tale. He inherits it. I mean, oh. it's originally a German folk tale. which okay. he gets from the stage from uh, Brendan O'Hare's production of it, and then interprets it from a, for a Polynesian or Samoan audience. So um, just changes a few things and uh, puts in uh, Kiwi and Kiowu, uh, yeah. uh, the uh, the main character's uh, Polynesian, and just rewrites it for this kind of audience and it is actually serialised in the South Seas. So, so that was so the audience he nice was writing
0: for, it wasn't as if you was saying, well, let's well, travel river. back to N- Well, actually no, UK. because
2: I think the fascinating thing about The Bottle limp, you have this really classic um, folk tale, fairy tale, uh, fantastic tale, um, mm-hmm. where you have this you need a bottle story or this update version of it but set in a very very real 19th century mm-hmm. world a world in which people travel mm-hmm. a world in which there are different cur- currencies and that's part of the well the of course yeah. yeah so it's I mean you know it's not just about making it simple for a Polynesian audience it's actually far from that you know? and it exposed some very complex moral issues on top of that but it's just the fact it is so uh, linked in with that sort of 19th century imperial world
0: well, it's interesting mm-hmm. to compare that with Thrawn Janet, which just they seem not only did they seem to be written by a completely different writer, but they seem to be in just completely different time period. You wouldn't say that one life would kind of touched on them, both, because yeah. you've got this little village in Thrawn Janet, um, which is a tale about the devil coming to town, really, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and uh, um, again, fantastic, strong female character in it in, in mm-hmm. Janet herself. And it could be something like, you know, one of John Galt's kind of couthy tales going terribly wrong. Uh, uh, um, and then you have this other side of the world, um, the language is very d- different. Um, there's not much Scotch, but there is a lot of Polynesian phrases
1: and... Uh, he's somebody who loves language, isn't yes, he? absolutely. He's, he's a poet as well as a, a writer. And, Stevenson just loves words and I think in one of his essays I can't remember which one but he says um, you know that he likes to walk in the Pentland Hills and he says something like um, soon these accents you know the accents of the Pentland Hills that I hear will be gone there will be no longer and he writes of how he regrets that and that it's not the voice in which he speaks but it's a voice I guess one of the the heart voices Mm. one of the heart languages And so I think this, I wonder if that's also part of trying to preserve this language and give it a voice. But um, but I also wonder, you know, when you talk about Thrawn Janet, I wonder if there's a little, it's a mischievous story as well, isn't it? It's very mischievous. It's very funny, scary. But um, I wonder if we go back again to, um, to hog and Justified Sinner mm-hmm. and the tale, is it the Ochtermachti? Uh, yeah, the good people of the good people yes, of, uh, mm-hmm. Until that day, the good people of, since that day, the good people of Ochtermachti have never trusted a minister. The, the story of the two crows in um, the middle of the...
2: Absolutely, and the minister <laughs> has, well, don't spoil it, but he has uh, an unusual feet, which suggests that yes. he might not be off when this you world. see the devil, you <laughs> won't know him. <laughs>
1: this is so rich isn't it there's so much going on there and Theron Janet is actually the ending of Theron Janet mm. is seriously well, horrid it's horrible mm. genuinely <laughs>
0: horrible. it's a proper horror story mm. as you will hear um, and I think that's you know you are saying that it's a, a, the bottle Imp is a very modern in terms of time you know in terms of the setting mm. but yet it's still a very freaky and supernatural story and he does seem to be able to to do that, to take yeah. the folk and the supernatural and bring it right up to date. So much up to date that it's, you know, it's still, like, it's still today, relevant it's,
2: today. I mean, it's the, the idea of the inalienable curse, you know, or guilt, I suppose. You know, you've got something you can't get rid of it and you have to get rid of it before you die. And, you know, we still explore that. If you look at films in the last couple of decades, the Ring series, when you've got this curse and you have to get rid of it, or Sam Raimi's excellent Drag Me to Hell, mm-hmm. you know, are similar motifs, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not the same idea, they're not based on the same story, but but there's similar ideas, of, you know. You absolutely, absolutely. Leave some you know this curse that you just can't rid yourself of. So I mean, it's a story. I think we we still retell or are versions mm-hmm. of this kind of this kind of idea.
1: So it's so, Faust, really, isn't it? It's yes. Faust, but also I guess, unlike kind of Goethe's Faust or Marlowe's Faust, there is this um, there's love at the centre of it, and it's love that is the thing that, that has the potential to redeem and exactly. save. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is just so. Stevenson well that's him? it and
0: maybe you know we're getting to the heart of why he is so popular and so well loved because there are things could be really dark but you go with it because there's a heart at the center of it and and there's compassion at, at, at the center of it and sometimes in the strangest places you know mm. um, for the the, the the people in the village or for the you know the people in Polynesia, or mm. it, it, it he, he's looking at the bigger picture it's never even uh, the the when the individual's um, situation is at its very worst, there seems to be a care for those around them. Even for someone like Jekyll, when he knows what he's going through, there is still a care. for him. Whether it's just you know hiding from his housekeeper or something like that, but there is still so care. Mr. For,
1: Poole says, "I have often heard him sobbing like a child." Yeah, and you get that sympathy for the devil. Absolutely, Absolutely yeah. 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 Um, but I guess Stevenson is somebody who knows pain. He knows physical pain, and he knows yes. mental anguish. And, you know, we, we, that can do different things to different people. And it doesn't make Stevenson bitter. It makes, you know, he writes those beautiful um, The Charles Garden of Verses. Mm-hmm. He writes about the land of counter pain, the land that the counters pain, which is play, which is imagination. Um, and, and, and there's that's that's where the his vicissitudes seem to take him. And that's another reason, I guess, why we, we feel drawn towards him. I mean,
0: he was also an essayist and wrote some very Absolutely. interesting things as well. Do you get any um, put into context his other writings at all?
2: Well, I mean, the, the, it actually starts off as an essayist, yeah. and one of his earliest works, uh, you know, uh, has one of my favourite quotes, so if he indulge me, can I just put the This yeah. is from his Edinburgh Picturesque Notes, which are mm-hmm. just a series of evocative tales and accounts of old Edinburgh, and this is from the bit about Greyfriars. There's not a bobby in sight or no dogs, <laughs> it's actually cats. And, I it and this is one of the things he says Greyfriars is continually overrun by cats I have seen one afternoon as many as thirteen of them on the grass beside old Meln, the master builder all sleek and fat and complacently blinking as if they had fed upon strange meats <laughs>
1: <laughs> 13 cats eating you've got to wonder what they could
2: possibly eat in a graveyard yeah. <laughs> strange, meats. strange meats strange meats but that's even Stevenson and his, er, you know, very very um, lovely descriptions of Edinburgh, old Edinburgh and its history and its present. And that's when Stevenson's just starting out, I guess, before he's yeah. even writing his fiction. So yeah. does
1: he write um, picturesque notes? He's writing then about because uh, he writes about the legends of Edinburgh, doesn't he? he does. mean? He's, he's writing the, about there's the Wizard Rode of and, West Bowl, uh, and yeah. various things. Like and that. so he's you can we can see that these thoughts are already there in the in the young writer. Um, and is it? Gosh, is it in that collection that he writes about uh, South Qu- North Queensferry? And he says some places are made for a murder. One ah. day a ship will go in beside the 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 in uh, North mm-hmm. Queensferry, and something will happen. And many many <laughs> years later, kidnapped. kidnapped. Yeah, and then, you know, the, the central seen is set there, and it's just a lovely insight into the writer's mind that he has been carrying this place and this thought and this atmosphere with him for decades, and then yes. he finds the vehicle for it. It's, it's back lovely.
0: It's to what you said earlier on. Are, are you know, as a, as a writer or, or, or anyone, the result of their influence, what they've been influenced by, or did they find their influences which kind of suit mm. them? And he obviously. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's anything you can answer, but it's a it's an interesting thought. Um, the I do i going to go with that. The, his perception today, then, or even his perception at the time. I mean, how was he perceived when he was um, writing? Um, a, in, in I think his Scotland success
2: animal. really comes with Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, Treasure Island, which closely followed, of course, by kidnapped and then Jekyll and Hyde really, really sealed his success and so I mean he, he's well regarded in his day and certainly he's successful at that time but there is a long period before that after he leaves university tries becoming an engineer to follow in his first footsteps uh, something that he's not suited for. He tells his father that I don't want to be an engineer, I don't want to, Mm -hmm. I guess, build lighthouses. It it amazes
1: me that his father and uncles think that he would be able to as well, because it's a hard, hard job, isn't it? Designing these lighthouses, going out to the Mm. most inhospitable points and boats and the wave and the sea and the weather. And he is, they call him Smout, don't they? Because he's just a wee scelf of a chap with really incredibly bad health how did they ever think that he would be physically suited to that? Exactly.
2: I mean, you have to travel off to Orkney or, you know, with tuberculosis or a pulmonary disease. I'm not sure if it's a sort of bronchial disease that mm-hmm. has his whole life. I, think I mean, how can he yeah. do that? And, I mean, he does travel. I mean, that's a, another remarkable thing about him. You know, despite the, the, the physical uh, problems he has, the problems of ill health throughout his life, he travels all over the world. But... You know Scotland is not the climate for him, and it has to get out. Um, so you know how they could actually, yes, imagine that he could be uh, you know, out surveying for lighthouses. It really is quite staggering. But uh, you know he wasn't cut out for it. He said to his father that he wanted to devote himself to literature. So his father decided, in that case, he'll study law. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't make a success of that So I mean, somebody who kind of, I guess, drifts about. You know, yeah. you know, through the influence of his cousin, becomes a bit more bohemian, changes his name to. Uh, Louis from Lewis and oh really I didn't yeah, know yeah and you know um, long hair and the well, iconic look and all these things the velvet you know? jacket the velvet jacket of course and um, you know he's, if you like he's, he's a sort of bohemian rebel he's rebelling against that kind of staid Calvinist proper white Edinburgh he's, he's
1: re- you know. can you imagine for his parents there's such strict church going people yeah. and there's young Lewis he's away to France he's cavorting with a married woman he's living in Paris with a married woman, he brings the married woman home and says I'm going to marry her <laughs> 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 it's all you know and actually I think you can tell in a way it's a beautiful story as well You can t- eventually his mum and dad go okay well you know what we just love you We've got to do this but I think it's so difficult because they have a very clear idea of hell and mm. you know that it's not just that they disapprove they, they think genuinely you want, worry for his yeah yeah mm-hmm. for your soul
0: yeah it's like that Monty Python sketch where the uh, miner comes back and says I want to be a miner and the poets is going out, oh no um i mean no son of mine is going down the mines what the bloody hell's <laughs> a tungsten carbide <laughs> tungsten carbide uh, <laughs> diversified but i guess
1: there's um those images of uh, of the light the light come you know the, uh, stevenson's father and his uncles developed not just um design not just lighthouses but they design lamps that save so many Mm. lives and this image of the lamp comes in again and again and again i think when you think about kidnapped and going up to the top of the tower young david Balfour suddenly gets up to the top and there's this flash of light um, from a you know lightning bolt and he sees that he was about to step into nothingness because the tower Mm. is collapsing that was another shocking moment from my childhood when i thought he just almost killed that wee boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. But but also in um, his dream, you know, that dream that he has that he says inspires Jekyll and Hyde, which I think we can, you know, we're allowed to be dubious about that, but Mm -hmm. he writes beautifully about it and he goes up and up these staircases Ah, as if in one of the lands um, in each of them lit by a lamp, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is they come through this influence of his father and his family and his uncles and... I don't know. This is it's rather beautiful. And doesn't he say something about that? Um, it it uh, it irritates me. He says something um, when people go on about the, the success that I've had, you know, yeah, I have had. know, and then I look. And oh, then mm-hmm. all across Scotland, lives are being saved by my uncles and my father in these lamps. And he tries to put himself into context.
0: Um. So he was successful as he was writing, and how was he viewed by his contemporaries? And
1: well, I mean, he had
2: a number of literary friendships. Um, you know, from um, I mean, Henry James, for example, uh, great editor W. Henley, though they later fell out, um, and I think fairly well respected as um, for a period. Um, I'm not quite sure how popular his later fiction went down when he's actually very critical of empire. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if that's the case. I mean, that's, that's I mean why is a kind of social
0: s- context in what he was doing in terms mm-hmm. of what was going on at the time?
2: Well, he was very involved in Samoan politics on the Soviet side of Polynesians mm-hmm. against the, the, the great uh, European powers who had really carved up Polynesia or extended influence there, so uh, that may not have helped. Um, in terms of being respected, I fairly really well respected in his day and certainly celebrated, you know. Um, and it's just after his death, you know, have burglarised, poor versions of his work. You have the children's version, you have that whole legacy which we spoke about earlier. Mm-hmm. That becomes a bit of a problem and, uh, you know, it's placed in the canon, if you want to call it that. not quite so sure, you know
1: also just that, you know, people enjoy his work. You sometimes think that happens, doesn't it? If the mm. if the person in the street is enjoying it, if they're all going to see um gosh, what's the, 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 the great films at Ronald Marsh or some the the the, the, the Frederick, Frederick, March, Frederick yeah, Marsh yeah. if they're all going to see, you know, him in the cinema, then this can't really be very good. It's a shilling shocker. You, know? <laughs> you can't have something critical that people will actually enjoy.
0: Yeah. That's I think that still remains a little bit of a I mean, you know, uh, talking about recording this for um, um, Stevenson Day, and obviously he is still well-remembered, but I often think when you compare him to the other Scottish heavyweights, if you like, maybe maybe he is more popular than Scott. I think certainly globally, globally he certainly is, I would say. But, you know, obviously Burns is the other one. I, I still feel that we don't perhaps make enough, not make enough the wrong work, but celebrate enough, enough. as a writer. Um, um, we know, I mean, this is a good place to finish, I think, um, we've spoken about the kind of greatest hits, Jekyll and Hyde, Kidnap, Treasure Island, and we've touched a little bit on others. So perhaps um, we could talk about some of his lesser known works, which, uh, you know, are favourites of yours. For instance, look, one of mine is *The Master of Ballantry, mm-hmm. which is perhaps not less known, but is a tremendous novel. It has all the themes that we've spoken about. It's got go, there's scenes going to sea, there's brothers who. By each other. There's um, pirates. There pirates. Pirates in it. it. <laughs> there are scenes in the mist, so you're not sure if you're seeing as a uh-huh. you know real or supernatural. There's I mean there's all sorts of fantastic uh, conflict again. Trope's going on, mm-hmm. but um. So I and, and I actually think Master Ballanty is perhaps my favourite um, Stevenson uh, novel. But uh, Louise, what about yourself?
1: Oh goodness. Um. I was just thinking about what you were saying about Burns and Scott, mm-hmm. and I was thinking do we judge it on the fact? There's a lovely essay by, I think, Alberto Manguel where he goes to try and buy a little bust of Robert Louis Stevenson to take home from his friend and he goes along the high street and he sees tea towels with Burns' face on them and, you know, pens and pencil sharpeners with Scott on them. Maybe that's when we've realised Stevenson has made it in the public consciousness when you can buy a dish towel with his Is face on it? it. Yeah, I think like <laughs> I guess, um I guess, I think... I think I might go back to uh, essays. Actually, I might go back to things like picturesque notes mm-hmm. that um, give us an insight into Stevenson's relationship with um, with Scotland, with Edinburgh in particular, and also that that observant eye that he has. You know, when he talks about um, the lands in Edinburgh's huge tenements that are um, that are overcrowded, where people of different classes are living higgledy piggledy on top of each other, where he says something like the detective and the the Bible reader cross on the stair, and he talks about one of them falling down, and he says, all over the world, in Canada and America, there will be people who say, the house I was born in fell down yesterday. And uh, so I think, I, I like that. I think you get a uh, quite a lot of time travel with Stevenson, and then you can walk the streets of Edinburgh and you can still see the places that he's talking about, mm-hmm. you can still imagine Deacon Brody doing his stuff. <laughs> I think that's right. He
0: does take, he does that fantastic thing all my favourite writers do is give you a real sense of place yes. and you can mm. imagine yourself going through them and I think he does that fantastically well. Ronnie?
2: Well, I'm going to go for Master I'm going to write it wrong, which <laughs> okay. you know, I committed, you know, okay. here, a couple of years ago when I had a choice between Master of Ballantry and Get Jekyll and Hyde. You were to down. And I right right? promised my better half <laughs> that it was going to be Master, it was going to be Master of Ballantrae, and then when it came down to it I just spluttered out Jekyll and Hyde so I'm going to correct that and say Master of yes. and just agree with Alistair because okay. it's nice to it's always nice to agree with Alistair <laughs> and it is a fine, fight
0: and it's a of. fine book but, but what I would say were, uh, um, are the, you know, if you know Stevenson at all and you think I know Jekyll and Hyde I, I, I know um, Treasure Island I know some of the others you've got so much more to discover because you've got the short stories you've got the essays which are fantastic And uh, and you've got some other very strange novels as well. Some of them, you know. Well,
2: there's some I still haven't read. I must confess, Prince Otto and the Black Arrow. um, And we didn't
1: mention the Body Snatchers, which is maybe one of my favourite short stories as well. In fact, when I whenever I'm in a pub quiz, my team is always the Body Snatchers, but we we spell it differently. (laughs) Oh yes. (laughs) But uh, yeah, which is a, a brilliant story, and again inspired by legend you know not mm. by, uh, sorry not by legends but inspired by Real. actual historical events um and Robert terrible, Knox at Birkenhair Um so yeah I think Stevenson someone he gives a novelist a lesson doesn't he plunder your history know the place that you live and and, and write about that that's that's material for you yeah
0: absolutely I mean whatever he's he's gone he's written about what's around him and, and just has this eye and ear for, for what's going on and then gives it this slightly disturbing but always adorable twist which I think the best, you know, best writing can do, I think. Um, so we'll we'll leave it there and I want to say thank you very much, Louise, for doing this.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure.
0: And thank you, Ronnie. Thank you. And yeah, we will have um, the podcast with you. You'll be hearing this hopefully on Stevenson Day and you'll be able to listen to uh, the readings as well and... We'll be with you next time with someone completely different. Cheers. Hello, um, we're here with James Robertson, who has just read The Tale of Todd Leprake by Robert Louis Stevenson. And um, we just want to talk briefly about Stevenson and his impact, um, not just in Scottish writing, but in writing as general. I mean, how influential has he been on you?
3: I would say Robert Louis Stevenson is probably the writer that I go back to most often in terms of rereading. Okay. uh, I I find him a a fantastically um, inspirational kind of writer. I think probably the first thing I ever read by him was Treasure Island um, when I was, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. And I thought it was just a great adventure story. And then and then I didn't read much else for a while. Oh then I read Jekyll and Hyde, probably mm-hmm. when I was too young. Right. And I kind of <laughs> thought it was quite weird, but I didn't get it. Yeah. And then and then I've probably read that story, that book, seven or eight times now, and I love it. And every time I go yeah. back to it it reveals something new. And it's such a small, tight text, and yet mm-hmm. it's got so much going on in it. Um and he and I think one of the things about him is he's so diverse. You know, you've got Jekyll and Hyde, you've got the stuff for children yeah. supposedly, which is still very readable yep. for adults, like Treasure Island. You've got the adventure stories like Kidnapped and, and Kachina, Kidnapped and Kachina, which is where the tale of Toddler Preak comes from. Mm-hmm. And then you've got all the other stuff, the, the South Seas stories, but you've got all the non-fiction, the essays. I mean, he's a brilliant essayist. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love his essays. And uh, and he's such, a, he's such a style... I mean, you know, I know he's been criticised for being too much of a stylist... But his style is excellent, and I just love it, so yeah. I keep going back to him.
0: If you're going to be stylish, you know, you might be the best you can be. I think the diversity is what has struck me. If you showed people a Jekyll and Hyde and you showed them Treasure Island, didn't say it was with the same writer, there would be no way that they would they wouldn't, be to it together. They
3: wouldn't, although if you start thinking about it, Long John Silver does have some of the elements of, you know, being a sort of a, a villain, but quite a, quite a sort of, um, um, approachable villain and a charming, quite, a, quite a charming, attractive villain as well. So there's 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 elements in there if you look for them. And kidnapped as as a, and 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 certainly Katrina have got elements of you know sort of split personalities or, or two characters representing different aspects yeah. of 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 of, of, a, of the human character.
0: Um, well, I mean, Jekyll and Hyde is almost the classic split personality, which I think almost has come to define a lot of Scottish writing. Um, for good and for bad, I think. Um, but we, the tale of Tordleprae, that there's, it's it's fantastic Scots language, um, and we'll just talk a bit about that's now lost to us in a certain way. And um, not the problems with reading it, but you know, for a readership today, do you think it's a difficult text to to deal with?
3: I think it is quite a difficult text if you don't have any kind of you know real knowledge of Scots as a language I think it's it's quite easy to kind of read that and miss some of the subtleties that are in there Um, which is one of the reasons why sometimes I think if again if you're not that familiar with Scots it's good to to hear it being Mm -hmm. read as as well as following the text yeah Um, and I think one of the one of the things I think is such a shame about the Scottish education system is that it's actually failed to address this issue of 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 teaching our children some elements of of Scots as a language um, which would then open up the literature of their country to them in a way that, that it's often closed to them because they think it's it, a lot of it is written in an alien tongue yeah. and of course it isn't an alien tongue, what it is is a tongue to which it's very often that they speak, but they're not. They don't make the connection between the way they speak and what they see on the printed page. If they read a story by Stevenson and Scots, or if they read a, a poem by Dunbar or even dare I say, it, a poem by Robert Burns. You know, yes. we all know that Burns is our great kind of um, uh, national bard. But the language that he writes in, by and large, Scots is not a language that we give, I think, enough place, enough value on. And I wish, I wish that it was held in higher esteem, and it should be held in higher esteem because it's such a rich and uh, and and uh, expressive language.
0: Yeah, now um, James Kelman once said that, uh, you know, Scott, Scotland's almost unique country in that by the way that we teach uh, literature or the way that we teach children to speak, you know, saying that's wrong and that's wrong, we don't just tell them what we think of them, but we tell them what we think of the parents because if the parents speak like that at home, then they're saying, well, you know, that, that is incorrect therefore there was a problem there and I think that's been something that has happened for well, a couple of generations
3: Many generations if you go back far enough I think um, certainly since the education uh, system was formalised in the late 19th century and was delivered entirely in English mm. I mean it applies to Gaelic speakers as well as to Scots speakers where you had this ludicrous situation where people who outside of the classroom adult, adult teachers would speak Gaelic to the children but as soon as they entered the classroom they would communicate only in English yeah. and and the same thing you could say happened in, with, with Scots speaking communities mm-hmm. as well so the education was delivered in a, in a language, English which in many respects was was actually an alien language to those
0: communities What's interesting about Stevenson of course is he's perhaps with, with Burns the best known writer, globally Scottish writer and so he seems to conquer that's the wrong thing but you know the, the, the fact that we're saying the Scots is quite difficult, but yet he has travelled.
3: Absolutely, and and so has so has Burns, and so has that other great nineteenth-century writer, Walter Scott. All three of them, you know, the, those are the big names yeah. uh, historically of Scottish writing. They all used extensive amounts of Scots in their work, mm-hmm. and it didn't appear to be a problem to to the the readers uh, of those of those writers outside of Scotland. In fact, in some respects, you could say it made their writing more interesting and exotic to folk that weren't familiar with that language.
0: So when, uh, I do you think that's because it was a smaller leadership in general that maybe they expected to put the work in? I'm not I'm not sure, I mean... I well,
3: don't... you could argue that, but if you look at somebody like Walter Scott, you know, I mean, he was the single most uh, popular uh, and, and successful writer of, his, of, of the 19th century, probably. He was translated into lots of languages where some of the subtleties of, of his original language might well have been lost. Uh, I don't think that they reproduced the Scots in, in dialect forms of French and German and, and, and so on, but nevertheless, um, those 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 were those writers were widely read uh, right across different cultures and countries, and the, the, the presence of Scots within within those um, those texts by and large did not appear to be
0: a difficulty. Do you think for a a, a writer of today, when they write in Scots, then people? Are prejudiced against that almost immediately, or do you think there is a, 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 a growing acceptance that that's a, a, an okay, acceptable way to write?
3: I think it's still quite problematic in terms of of of, uh, of reaching a, a, a wider audience, or even an audience with a, a readership within Scotland. To be honest, I think mean, someone like Edwin Welsh has had fantastically um, worldwide mm. success, uh, but I wonder. And you know, and that's brilliant because he hasn't compromised very much in terms of the language that he uses to write his stories in. But I'm not sure how whether the language has enhanced or been a barrier to that worldwide readership. I'm not sure, but certainly in my, my in my own case, I've I, I know from feedback that I've got that uh, that sometimes the, the language that I use in some of my fiction has been a barrier to wow. getting getting work um, um published in other parts of
0: the world. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Well, to finish talking on Stevenson, it's um, one of his short stories, and I think he's a master of the short story form. Do you think that's some, are sometimes overlooked for you know his kind of longer? Uh,
3: well, he is a great short story writer. I mean, I think you know um, whether it's a story like *Toddler Prick*, which is. Sort of enclosed within a novel mm-hmm. or whether it's a, a standalone story like Thrawn Janet or my, my particular favourite which is not, has, doesn't have any Scots in it at all, which is one of his South Sea stories, The Bottle Imp*. I mean he is a master of, of, of containing a whole world in a relatively short space. Um, so I think maybe, you know, I think the short story tends to get overshadowed by, by, by the novel mm-hmm. and, and has been for some generations now. But it's great when you when you find a, a gem like the best of Stevenson's stories because it de- demonstrates how, how how brilliantly successful a short story can be when it's in the hands of a master.
0: And again, um, the diversity between something like the bottle imp, which you know shows this. Um, well-traveled man and then you've got something like Thron Janet which is very much off the village and the, the local um, community uh, just an incredible range um,
3: Great range uh, and again though I think you know if you start to dissect his work you will find the same, the same themes cropping up over and over again themes about moral goodness or badness You know, the, the, con- the contest within an individual about about doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing um, temptation and how you how you either succumb to it or, or resist it and overcome it. These things are, are present in the bottle and just as they are in Thrawn, Janet mm. and Todd Leprae and so on. So whatever language he's using, whatever he's setting his stories, he's covering the same ground. Mm-hmm.